struggling, it's so easy to just retreat into ourselves and try to manage and just figure it out on our own. And that is the absolute worst thing that you can do is to try to pursue Christ on your own. And so it is fundamental. It is really a non-negotiable. If you desire to be used by Christ, if you desire to grow and to become the man or woman that he wants you to be, you must not attempt to pursue Christ on your own. You can't. If you try on your own, you're doing it against what he's revealed, and you will fail. And so it's very important to us as a church that we're involved in community. We'll talk about this more in the coming weeks, but here's as we kind of begin this new ministry year, we have a sign-up sheet where you can join a home group, where you'll have a family, where you can do life with other people, and you'll cry together, but you'll celebrate together, and you'll have someone to do life with and pursue Christ in community. And so what we're going to ask you to do is fill out one of these sheets and just basic name, contact information. On the back, we want to find the best group that will help you really fit and kind of find your niche, so to speak. And so we want to know um, what day of the, of the week is best for you. Um, also, what, what group type you're interested in and where you live. And if we didn't put where you live on this list, just kind of put other and just kind of write that in. Because what we want to do is organize our groups first and foremost geographically. The, the main goal is not that you be around people that look just like you and that sound just like you. Because look around the room. The likelihood of you being in a group with someone that looks and sounds just like you is pretty slim in Abu Dhabi. And that's a good thing. It's very good because it allows you to learn from other people that maybe are older or younger from you that have maybe a different background. And so we want to encourage you to get kind of behind this on geographically covering all of off-island, in my mind, really more of invading, covering off-island for Christ. And so we're, we're going to have groups more geographically oriented, more so than life setting. Um, so that's just so you know. And so if you could please this morning fill it out. It won't take very long. And then later when the offering bag comes along your way, just drop it in the offering bag. If you have any questions, we're, we're going to have greeters in the back table. You can talk to them and they can help you out with any questions you may have. As you heard one of our elders earlier this morning, Earl mentioned that last week we launched a brand new series. We're calling this Follow Me. And last week we started off by talking about why are we here? What is our mission as a church, and what are we exactly trying to accomplish, and why do we come here on Friday mornings? Why are we even here? And we learned that God has exactly one purpose in everything that he does. God does not do things by accident. It's not random. Everything God does is intentional, and it works towards an end. All of human history is moving towards the culmination of God's purposes, of his redemption. And so we learned last week that God's desire, his ultimate mission is his glory. That God desires to display his glory, his magnificence, his majesty, his wisdom, his beauty, that all of creation will recognize how wonderful he is and that we will bow down as we just sung in worship. That our hearts will bow down and acknowledge who he is and his infinite worth. And so everything that God does is to accomplish the prophecy. We read this last week in Habakkuk 
chapter 2, verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge, listen to this, the whole earth filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That is what God yearns for, to have his glory cover the entire earth. And so we learn that that is his mission. And so then we learn that Jesus entrusted us his mission, and he specifically told us how to do it. And we looked at Matthew 28 last week, verses 16 through 20, was called the Great Commission. This is the mission of the church, and it's to go and make disciples. That's why we're here. We as a church, it's in your notes, we exist to glorify God by making and developing disciples. That's it. That's why we're here. That's going to be our focus moving forward. We will, we will be stubbornly de- dedicated to this mission. And we will, again, stubbornly be focused on it. And we will not be distracted even by any good things. We will be focused on making and developing disciples for the glory of a risen Christ. That's why we're here. And so you might be wondering, okay, well, okay, I'm beginning to understand why we're here and what our mission is as a church. But the question is, how, how does that look in everyday life? You know, just practically speaking. If we're to make disciples, what does a disciple look like? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And, and so it's important today that, that since we're going to know our mission and keep our focus on the mission, that we begin by defining our terms and defining what exactly is a disciple. See, in Matthew chapter 4, 19, when Jesus called his disciples, when he said, follow me, he said, and he said to them, his, his initial followers, he said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And so this mantra of follow me, is repeated over and over and over in the Gospels, all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Over 20 times, Jesus says, follow me, be my disciple. He said it to poor, uneducated fishermen. He said it to the rich and the powerful. He would say to people over and over, he would say, leave everything and come, follow me. Now, we have to understand what we're trying to do here. If we're told to make disciples, well, that means something. And as I'm asking, well, what does that look like? What does a follower of Jesus, a disciple, actually look like? What are the ingredients? What are we trying to make here? It's kind of like if you want to make a cake or brownies. Well, you have to have flour and sugar, and you have to have the exact right ingredients. Now, I've discovered Filipino food living here, and I like pancit. And so if you're going to eat pancit, like early in the summer, we had 25 Filipinos come to our villa, and they were in the kitchen and baking all and cooking, and I walked in, and I was like, what is that? What is that? I don't know what they were doing, but it tasted awesome. The ingredients for pancit are different than the ingredients for cake. Totally different ingredients. Not both taste good. Two different products, though. And so you have to know what are you making before you begin the process, before you go to the store and buy your ingredients, you have to know, well, what is the goal? What am I trying to make here? And once you've defined your terms and you know what you're trying to make, you can then begin the process of getting the ingredients together and making whatever it is you're trying to make. And so as the church, what are we trying to make? Disciples. That's what we're trying to make. 
We're trying to make disciples. That's why we're here. And so the question is, well, what are the ingredients? Before I can start making a disciple and being developed as a disciple, what are the ingredients? What must you have? What is a disciple? That's today's question that we're going to answer. So let's begin by thinking about this question, okay? The word disciple versus the word Christian. Because we talk about Christianity and being a Christian. Do you know how many times the Bible uses the word Christian? Did you know? Not very often. Three. Exactly three times does the Bible refer to a follower of Jesus as a, quote, Christian. There's another word that is used over 200 times to describe a follower of Jesus. Guess what it is? Disciple. Exactly. That's the theme, clearly. Over 200 times, the word disciple is used for someone that loves Jesus and is pursuing him. It's a much more rich biblical word than even the one that we use today of Christian. And so what does that mean? It's good to understand this rich biblical word in its first century context. Because today, we don't really think about disciples much. It's really not a modern-day word. It's an ancient word. And so the word disciple, again, in the first century context when Christ used the word, it referred to someone who was devoted to a master, someone that had committed himself to one teacher, a rabbi, so a master. The word itself, disciple, it simply means learner or pupil, student, or it means follower. So that's what the word means, the student that's committed himself to a master. And so what happened is a pupil, a student, a learner would meet the master. He would then commit to follow the master and learn everything he could, learn to emulate the master, learn everything he could, walk with the master, ask him questions, learn everything he could from him, be just like him. And once the student, the disciple, had learned everything he had to learn, then guess what he would do? He would go have his own disciples. And it was usually in the school, and so you would have disciples that all came from the original rabbi. And so it was just being passed on in that way. And so that is the context in which Jesus uses the word, go and make disciples. People that have heard Jesus call when he says, will you come and follow me? And we hear those words reverberating deep within our soul, and we hear his voice calling us lovingly, come and follow me. Those that respond to the words of Jesus are his disciples. But let me give you an illustration of what this is and what this is not. I don't like confusion. I like simplicity and I like clarity. It's much like when I was in Texas and I had several of my friends at my church back then that were studying martial arts. They loved martial arts and, and they were all into this karate and stuff. And they would say, you should join martial arts. You're athletic, sort of. You'd be good at it. I mean, you come anyway twice a week to the dojo because your son is in karate. Why don't you just come in an extra two nights a week and join and actually train yourself? You should totally join karate. And I would say, well, I kind of like karate. I like to watch it, at least my son when he's doing it. 
And I respect it. I think it's good. I see he's healthy. It looks challenging, so it might be fun to learn something new and learn to get better at it. I would say, so I respect it. I'm, I'm a fan of karate, but I don't love karate. So I'm not going to commit to it. I'll just stay on the sideline as a fan, just kind of watching my son and watching you guys do all of your stuff because I don't really love it. I'm not committed to it. Many people have that same mentality towards Jesus. They think he's good. They respect him. They're fans. No problem with Jesus. They'll even kind of watch. Do they love him? Have they truly committed themselves to following him? There's a difference between being just an observer, being a fan, versus being a wholehearted, committed follower of Jesus. In your notes, you'll see where it says the progression of a disciple. Just to be clear, this is important. A true believer in Jesus is a disciple. So let's not confuse our terms here. If you have repented of your sins, believed in Jesus, you're born again of his spirit, if you are a believer in Christ, by definition, you are a follower, you are a disciple. But in the scriptures, there's also this progression where the same word disciple, learner, is used for three categories of people. And let's work through this, and it'll make much more sense. The first one is casual. Okay, so in your notes, number one, if, if you're following along, number one is casual. So a casual listener, in your notes, sir, Matthew 8 describes this. We don't have time to go through all of it this morning, but on your own time this week, you can feel free to look through that. What you have here is people that early in the Gospels, early in the story, revealing the life and ministry of Jesus, early on, what you see is there are people that are called disciples. They're referred to as followers of Jesus. That's the word used for them. And they follow Jesus only to a point. Only to a point. As soon as following Jesus interfered with their personal agenda, as soon as following Jesus became just a little bit difficult, they were done. Now, if you would ask them, they'd say they love Jesus. But there was no evidence of truly loving Jesus. So it's easy to claim it and to follow Jesus up to a point as a casual observer, as a casual listener. These people, by the way, are not atheists. These are not the ones that are antagonistic and are trying to rip the faith apart. These are not the atheists. These are not jerks or are anti-Christian. These people are positive and they're pro-Christian. They are. They're good people, if you will. But they're just casual fans. On the sideline, they'll follow Jesus only as long as it doesn't interfere with their own personal agenda. And these people fall away. They quit following Jesus as soon as it gets hard. But then there's another category of a convinced listener. You see, first is casual. Second one is convinced. These people are also called disciples, and they follow Jesus, and they're, and they're convinced that Jesus really is good. They really are convinced that there is a benefit to following Jesus. And they'll follow him in the Bible here in John 6, for example, calls them disciples. These people will go to church, maybe even regularly. They may even tithe. 
They have all the appearances of following Jesus. As long as it's comfortable. As long as it's convenient. As long as they're not asked to do anything like serve. As long as they're not asked to actually sacrifice anything. Then all of a sudden, now they're not so sure about following Jesus. Second, it gets hard, not so much. And so when, when things don't go their way, when it's longer comfortable or convenient, what happens is they get either angry or disillusioned. Have you ever known someone that got angry at the church and just left? Ever? Ever known anyone? See a lot of smiles. Yes, of course you have. People who are just depressed or disillusioned, and they're following Jesus as long as everything stays exactly as they want it. But the second that anything changes in the church, oh, you can't change that. Well, why not? Everything is changing all around you all the time. Just by the way, everything is always changing. Your body is changing. Your world is changing. The market is changing. Your job is changing. Your, your kids are changing. Change is inevitable. God's plan is to change, to change us to reflect the image of Christ. And so redemption is to take us from being dead and change us to being alive. And so change is inevitable. And so quite honestly, the more our hearts get used to the idea of changing, the better off it will handle life. Because it's going to happen regardless. But point here is that these are a bit more committed than the casual. They're, they're convinced that he is good for them, but, but they fall away. Like in John 6 is the example, where Jesus says, eat me, drink me. And they think, man, Jesus is a cannibal. He's crazy. And they just stop following him. Of course, he meant spiritually. I will nourish you. I will satisfy you. But they fell away because they were just casual observers. But then there's a third category, committed. Committed, lifelong learners and followers of Jesus. These are the people that as the story in the Gospels begins to unfold and the word disciple gets used more narrowly. And towards the end of the Gospels, the word disciple no longer refers to the casual. Towards the end of the Gospels, the word disciple no longer refers to the ones who are just convinced that he is good for them. The word towards the end of the Gospels refers usually to the 12 disciples that were completely committed, no matter how hard it got, no matter how much was changing around them, no matter how much was asked of them. They followed Jesus. And so a true disciple in the ultimate meaning of the word is a truly committed, lifelong learner and follower of Jesus. And so let's look at the ingredients, if you will, the characteristics. A disciple is someone that's described in, nine, in Luke 9, 23. And so you have your Bibles. Let's look at this as we identify the three characteristics of what a disciple is. Luke 9, 23 through 27. And he, this is, of course, Jesus speaking, and he said to all, If anyone come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses, forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here 
who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And we'll work through this verse by verse, but just number one, this first principle, the first characteristic, a disciple is someone who has submitted to the person, that's your blank, the person of Jesus. Someone who has committed to a person. It says in Luke 9.23, and he said, if anyone would come after me. And so he is saying, come after me, a person. He's saying, move beyond being just a casual or even a convinced listener and move to become a wholehearted, committed learner and follower of me. But he specifically says, come after me, a person, not a system. So many people believe that it's just a religious system. And lest I be too hard on anyone else, this happens to me. And you know what's happened to me? Of all places in my life, in seminary. When I was studying to become a pastor, this is some 10 years ago now. But I was early in seminary, reading all these books and learning a lot in theology and learning Greek and all of these academic exercises. And what happened to me is I fell in love with the system. I fell in love with the fact that it was the only logical system under the sun, any other religion I could poke holes in it with my apologetics, and I, I fell in love not with Jesus, but with the system. And you know what happened to me? I was miserable. That's my wife. It's terrible. I didn't love Jesus in that season. I just loved the idea of him, and I loved the airtight, systematic system that is Christianity. And it took me a little while to realize, what's wrong with me? Why am I so dry on the inside? And then I had to repent. And it was a weep-filled, coming-to-Jesus moment that I'll never forget, sitting at my desk, reading Ephesians chapter 2. I was gripped by my sin and the beauty of Christ and I came running back to him and said, Jesus, will you please forgive me for having loved the system more than you, a person? So it took me over a year in this situation to come to grips and come to my senses. But it's so easy for us to forget that to be a disciple is not to go to church. It's not to be religious or to have rituals or have a religion to be a disciple is to be committed to a person, Jesus, to love him, to know him, to have your passion beat fast for him. This is critical, especially for Westerners, because we love systems. What was Jesus calling people to commit to? Yes, to himself. But if you turn about three pages back in Luke to chapter 5, you will see when he called the disciples, what he said to them. Luke 5, 11, here's what he says to them. Well, after he called them, and when they had brought their boats to land, listen, they left everything and followed him. So Jesus says, follow me. And it says, they left everything. That was the initial disciples. And then in the same chapter, he calls Matthew, also called Levi. He was a tax collector. Same chapter, verse 27. And he says, and after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Again, call Matthew. Sitting at a tax, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving 
everything, he rose and followed him. This is just two of 20 plus times where Jesus says, follow me. And what was their response? They left what? Everything. They left everything to follow Jesus. When we hear the words in our soul and we hear Jesus calling me, follow me. He is saying, commit to me as a person who loves you and died for you, was resurrected for you, and I want to give you life in abundance, but you must commit to me. That means that your commitment to everything else is now you hold it very loosely. Most of us tend to unhold the things very tightly. And he's saying, let them go. Let it go. Come follow me and give up everything. The key word describing this first principle, if you're putting the notes, key word is dependence. We are dependent upon Jesus for everything. We depend upon him, not on ourselves, and that's the major difference from a casual or even a convinced listener to a committed follower is that the first two categories, those who are casual or maybe even convinced, depend upon themselves. We think we can figure it out, and we think that we can find our own joy on our own terms, and we have to depend upon him, not on ourselves. Because honestly, you don't belong to yourself. Jesus died for you. You were bought for a price. You belong to him. And so following him means following a person wholeheartedly, dependent upon him, and forsaking everything. Second characteristic, a disciple of someone who has submitted to the authority. So first is the person, second is the authority of Jesus. Back to Luke 9, 23. He says, if anyone would come after me, focus on a person, he says, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The disciple is a learner. We learn to be like Jesus, and we learn to sacrifice the way he sacrificed. See, Jesus died on the cross, but he was resurrected, and that proves that he is the Son of God, that he is eternal. And we read last week in Matthew 28, he gives us this mission, and is based upon what? On his authority. He says, all authority is given to me, now I send you on this mission. And so it's based on his authority. And so Jesus sacrificed, and so we must sacrifice. We must submit to his authority. And so he says, deny yourself. Well, what does that mean, deny myself? Well, it simply means that you renounce your selfish desires. It's not what you want, it's what Jesus wants. I always want to be in control. And we say, no, I'm done being in control. So deny yourself. The second one, take up your cross. What was a cross for? Was it a cute little gold trinket that we wear today? Is that what a cross was in the first century? No. A cross wasn't ornate. A cross wasn't gold. It wasn't jewelry in the first century. A cross was for execution. A cross was a horrible, hideous symbol that was used only to execute the most vile criminals in a very public way. It was a torture device. It was a place of sacrifice and of death. The cross was a miserable image and that's the one that Jesus embraced for you and for me. And he says, carry your cross. Well, that means death, means execution. Execute what? Your agenda. Execute your agenda. 
execute what it is that you would long for most in this life other than Christ himself. And then he says, follow me. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. You focus on Jesus. You focus on him exclusively. And everything else falls into place. And then Luke 9.24, he says, But whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. This is such a paradox. It seems to be a contradiction. It seems to be impossible. What does it even mean, Jesus? He says, if, if you try to save your life, well, what is he talking about saving your life? Well, it means to live for your own affections. It means to live for what would make you selfishly happy. It's just living for yourself and all that you can get in life. And so if you want to save your life, he's referring to living according to your own affections or desires, your own agenda, if you will. He says, if that's you, if you live for your own agenda, you will lose your life. It shows that you don't really love Jesus and you're not really following him. Maybe you're casual or convinced, but you're not wholeheartedly committed, and so it shows your heart, and you're not going to have eternal life. But then he says, here's the opposite, but if you will lose your life for Jesus, well, what does that mean, to lose your life for Jesus? means that you live a Christ-centered life where you're, you've sacrificed your own agenda. And it says, and if you do that, then you will save your life. That you will experience communion with Jesus. And in the end, even eternal life after we die. And so it seems to be contradictory, but that's the way of the cross. The, the very symbol of death and torture is what God has used to give us life and peace. It's a paradox. But the disciples were called to forfeit, to abandon their comfort. They left everything to leave their security, to leave their safety, to leave their possessions, to leave their family. They were called to leave all of it. They left everything. And so do we hold on to family and possessions and career and comfort and security? Do we want those things more than we want the person of Jesus? So the key word here is obedience. When we're called to be under his authority, we're called to obey him. Well, how do you obey Jesus? You obey his word. When we're obeying his word, we're obeying him. And so the primary way to know what kind of disciple are you is to ask the question, what is my propensity to obey? How often do I obey? Is, is it drudgery for me to obey or do I yearn to obey because I hate my sin and I love Jesus and I want to obey him. A disciple submit to the person of Jesus, but also to the authority of Jesus. In verse 25, he says, if you gain the whole world, but you lose your, yourself, your soul, what does it profit you? So we have to ask ourselves, well, what are we trying to gain? What this world has to offer? Are we trying to just gain Jesus? Hard questions on a Friday morning, no doubt. But living it out day in, day out is what it means to follow Jesus. And so we must spend time with the master. A disciple meets the master, learns to be like the master. And so every day, communing with him, praying, reading the Bible, meditating, having time with him every day is where your heart will begin to get softer and you'll want to more versus you like you have to. 
So the final characteristic of a disciple is submitted to the mission of Jesus. So it's meant to the person, to the authority, and to the mission of Jesus. In verse 26, he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory, and the glory of the Father and of his holy angels. Are we ashamed of Jesus? You would say, no, of course not. Well, maybe not on a Friday morning sitting in a nice chair. You're not ashamed of him, but what about out there at work? What about where you live? Are we, are we ashamed of him? Do, do we acknowledge that we love Jesus on Friday morning, but that's it? We have a mission, and this is why we exist, to glorify God by making and developing disciples. And so he says, don't be ashamed of me. I've given you a mission. Remember what he said? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You will experience the joy of Christ when you are living on mission for him. So the key word here is multiplication, multiplying, having our church grow and plant more churches. And we're talking about having groups. Well, if you have a friend that maybe thinks it'd be weird to come to church on Friday morning at the zoo, okay, they can come to your house or your friend's house and you have a home group. And they can meet other believers and realize they're not weird. Well, some of us might be weird, but not all of us, at least. And so we want you to invite your friends that don't know Christ to your home group. We, we want you to do that. And so we must be committed to the mission of Jesus. This is critical. Because the end of discipleship is making more disciples. And so if, if we just come and enjoy worship and, and we just like the people and we like to sing and, and want to hear a message and then we go home and we're unchanged and we're not a mission and we don't tell anyone about it, you're kind of missing the point. It's not about you. As Jesus in this verse is about the glory of Christ. And we do that by making disciples. And then verse 27, he says, that there are some that won't die into the city kingdom of God. And so some people get confused on what he means that some will not die into the city kingdom of God in its fullness. Well, what he's referring to is in the very next verse. You'll see it says that eight days later, he took his closest disciples, three of them, Peter, James, and John, and they saw him transfigured, so the transfiguration. And so the transfiguration, the very next verse, is describing this event where Jesus showed his glory to his closest followers. He gave them a taste of what it's going to be like in the kingdom of God. Not in its fullness, just an appetizer. This wasn't, this wasn't the hamour. This, this wasn't, you know, the main dish. It was just the chips and salsa, chilies. You know, it was just the appetizer. But they still got a taste. They got a glimpse of what it's going to be like when Christ returns. And when they saw Jesus transfigured, they just bowed in worship and were just completely blown away. And Peter didn't want to get off the mountain. Let's just stay here. Let's just build little huts for you because we want to keep beholding your glory. And Jesus says, you're crazy. We're not going to build a hut. I'm going to come back one day in full glory. He's going to come back. We have this promise. We have this assurance. And he gave us just a taste. 
when we read about how he was transfigured and he just demonstrated his radiance and his beauty. Why are we committed to this mission? Why? Because we have seen more beauty, we've seen more worth, more value, more glory in Jesus than anything else that this world has to offer us. He's worth it. He's worth the inconvenience. He's worth the cost. Because let's not be deceived. There's a cost. If you're going to be casual or maybe even just convinced that he's good for you, there's no cost there. No cost. Because the second it gets hard, you just back out, you just leave and go about your own way. But truly being a disciple, a lifelong follower, learner of Jesus means that there's a cost. And it may be hard for you. I'm not going to lie. I don't know what tomorrow holds for you or me or our church. I don't know. I just talked to a brother who's visiting us this morning. He goes to a different church. And they got an email on Monday saying you can't meet on Friday. They have a church the same size as ours. And today they're not meeting. And I want to pray for our brothers at Cornerstone. They, they no longer have a place to meet. They just got kicked out five days ago with no notice after five years of meeting there. It's, the truth is that we are not in a country that is Christocentric. We're in a Muslim country, and there are no guarantees for us. There could be a cost, but you know what? Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. We see more beauty and more glory in him than anything else. And so our hearts are committed to him as a person. We are committed to obey him under his authority, and we are committed to his mission for his sake, that his name will be made large and will be glorified on earth, and every knee will bow to the glory of God. That is what we are about at ECC Off-Island. So I don't want a room full of casual or convinced listeners. I want to see an army unleashed that invades this city for Christ of wholehearted, committed, lifelong learners and followers of Jesus that are truly leaving a mark for Jesus. That's my heart. So you're wondering, well, how are we going to do that? We'll come back next week. We're starting the, the rest of this series talking about follow me. We talked last week on what is a mission. Now we know. Today we're saying, well, what does it look like? What is a disciple? It's in your notes. Hopefully you heard listen today. You have a sense of what a disciple is, just a picture. Now, by the way, a lot more, much, much more could be said. But what is a disciple? This is just a foundation that we're going to build on. But this is a foundation. These three truths of a disciple is submitted to the person of Jesus is submitted to the authority of Jesus, and is submitted to the mission of Jesus. That is a disciple. How are we going to do that? How are we going to make disciples and develop them? Well, we'll talk about our strategy beginning next week. And we'll talk specifically of how we're going to do it and how you're going to be a part of it. And you can experience God's pleasure and his joy. But we must consider the cost of following him.
It's a reality. Maybe you're here today and you're wondering, well, I don't know that I've ever actually done that. I, I think maybe I am just casual. Maybe I really have been maybe convinced that he's good for me, but I've never done what you're describing. If you're here in, in this quiet and this holy moment, maybe you're coming to grips with the fact that you've never actually given your life to the master. All you have to do is repent of your sins and with your whole heart place your complete trust in Jesus. Ask him to forgive you. He'll forgive you. He'll change you. He'll give you his Holy Spirit and your life will never be the same. And you can do that this morning. I'm going to ask you, just kind of bow your head just for a moment. Just kind of close your eyes and if you never have received Christ as your master where you've committed to him, then you can do that now. And just go back to that back table. Fill out a welcome card and mark on the box so that we can contact you this week and help you as you grow. But if you're here and you have received Christ, it's just time to evaluate. Have we fallen into a tendency of being more casual or just convinced? Or are we truly pursuing him as a lifelong committed learner and follower? I'm going to ask worship team to come take their places. And as I do, let's, let's just draw near to our Father, who we have come here today to hear from. We love you, God. Our hearts need you. We confess that we are lost without you. We have no purpose without you. We have no joy without you. We have no future without you. There's no eternity apart from you. We are foolish and you are wise, and we, Father, can be so stubborn. But we thank you that you are slow to anger and you abound in loving kindness. And you are God that relents. Thank you, Father, for being so patient with us. Thank you for Jesus and providing the way on the cross for us to be forgiven. Father, this morning, as we mentioned, Cornerstone, our, our brothers that meet in a different church, different venue, who have lost their place to meet, we pray for them today, that you would lead them and help them to find a place to meet, Father. So we, we pray for them and for the anxiety that they're experiencing. We pray for our church, that you would use us, that we would be a vessel that is holy and pure and set apart for your purposes, that we would be committed to you, Jesus, to your authority, and that we would be committed to your mission. Help us to be a church that doesn't just come to church, but truly is the church. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for hearing us. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus, lover of my soul, Jesus, I will never let you go. 
mighty clay. Set my feet upon the rock. Now I know I love you. I need you, Lord. Though my world may fall, I'll never let you go. You're my Savior. Closest friend. My closest friend. I will worship you. I will worship you until the very end. goodness and, and your love, for your mercy to us, for all that you are. God, I, uh, I thank you that we can uh, come together today and, and worship you together and hear your word spoken. pray that we would take it to heart, that we would really, uh, really understand what it means to be a disciple of you and to follow you as a person and uh, in your mission and your calling for each of us on our lives. God, I pray that... Uh, you would uh, you would watch over the other uh, believers as we've uh, learned this morning of uh, are facing some difficulties in, uh, in in being able to serve you together here. That you would just have mercy on them and uh, lead them and guide them. That you would uh, continue to uh, to bless the, the leadership here that allows us to meet, and and uh, that you would 
be with the leadership in this country, God, that, uh, God, as we know that, that uh, we're somehow guests here and, uh, and, and there's, there's more freedom than a lot of other places in this region, yet we're still, uh, we're, we still face uh, some, some level of uh, what you can call persecution as, as, we're, as we're hearing, God. I pray that you would just use that to strengthen our faith in you, that we would draw closer to you, that we as a, as a body of believer, believers here in Abu Dhabi would, uh, would be united and that we would, uh, we would really, uh, as we follow you and as our disciples of you, would, would be a, a bright light for you here. And God, that uh, people would be drawn to us, that they would be drawn to you, and, uh, and that people that live here would, would come to know you as their Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, just a few announcements before we continue on with our coffee fellowship at the back. Um, you might have seen in your bulletins, there are a couple of announcements there. So. Uh,